it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today we have episode 255. And today we're going to talk about a recent Howard Marks memo called The Sea Change that Andrew read and thought that this would be kind of a really interesting discussion for us to talk about some of the comments that Howard made during his memo and maybe how that can impact investing now in the past and going forward. And so I'm going to turn it over to Sir Andrew and then we'll go ahead and get started. I feel like I'm not going to be able to do Howard Marks enough justice. So first off, like go read his memo because it's really, he does a way better job at describing it than I ever would. Howard Marks is a legend in the investing world. He started, you know, decades before I was born in this industry and he made his bread by doing value investing where they would buy distressed debt. So basically, they were buying bonds and they were buying it at a margin of safety. And they were basically buying the bonds that nobody wanted. So it was your quintessential contrarian, you know, buy low, sell high kind of strategy. And he talked about in the memo how the reason why that opportunity was there. I mean, there were several reasons, but one of the big reasons was that people were not issuing or buying debt that wasn't investment grade. So he says that like when he first started out, even the idea of risk and like a risk adjusted return where people say, you know, well, high risk, high return, low risk, low return, like that kind of an idea wasn't even around back then. It was literally like if something's too risky, you just don't touch it, period. 
So there was a lot of money that wasn't touching these bonds that were considered high risk because they weren't investment grade. But somebody who was smart and can look at the numbers and evaluate risk and manage risk could do very well by making good risk-adjusted investment decisions. So yeah, I might be taking on more risk with this company, but it's trading at such a cheap price that I, I buy enough of these, I'm going to get a good return buying enough of these. And that's kind of how he made his bacon back in the day. And he's talked about a lot of different things that have changed over the years. He says that was one of them where investors started thinking of risk not as something you avoid completely, but as something that you manage along with how much return you're trying to get. And he also talked about how everything we're seeing today around interest rates, inflation, these things are really bucking the trend with what we had seen in the previous 40-year time period. And so it is a high likelihood that what we see moving forward is going to be very different from what we've seen over the last 40 years. And so you have to be careful because just because things worked 20 years ago, 10 years ago, the last five years, those kind of investment strategies, if they were based on a different paradigm, then they're not going to work well if the paradigm shifts. And there's a lot of mounting evidence to say that that paradigm has potentially shifted in a major way. And you can start with interest rates. How do interest rates impact investments? Yeah, it's a great question. Interest rates determine how valuable cash is. And you can think of it as simple as, if the bank's going to pay me 10% interest just to sit in the bank... I mean, that's a pretty trade. So why would I take on the most riskiest company in the world and buy their stock and maybe lose all my money when I can just make 10% of the bank? But if the bank's only paying you half a percent or 0% to hold your money, well, other more risky investments sound more appealing because at least they pay you something. So it's a very simplistic idea, but really that's kind of what happens and, you know, finance types, we love to take all of those concepts and make them super complex with all these fancy numbers. But at the end of the day, that's kind of what it comes down to. And so as interest rates come down, the prices of risky investments goes up. Asset prices go up. Home prices go up. All these asset prices go up. As interest rates come up, then those asset prices start to come down. And that's just from the risk reward return side. You also have just the way interest rates affect the economy. And in general, as interest rates are rising, the economy slows. So then you get like this double whammy of lower asset prices plus a slowing economy because of interest rates slowing down lending, slowing down investment. And so you can get a double whammy and it can cause your stocks to go down. And so just as a general rule, if interest rates are rising, that's not good for asset prices and vice versa. But of course, it never follows a perfectly neat pattern like that. And these things are changing constantly. But if you want to think long, just to give like a super long-term perspective, interest rates, I think, really became a hot topic when Paul Volcker was the Fed guy. Back in the early 1980s, he had to break inflation. 
And so he did by driving the federal fund rate up to 20%, which is the short-term interest rate. So interest rates spiked in 1982, and then they've been on a steady decrease in the 40-year period to follow that. And everything after the great financial crisis of 08-09 had this period of ultra-low interest rates. And starting in 2021, that trend has reversed. And then obviously, we've all seen how the Fed has ratcheted up rates at such a fast and rapid and steep pace. And so, you know, it's possible maybe that might be shifting. Falling rates isn't something we've always seen throughout the history of the United States. Ever since the end of World War II, we had interest rates increase from like 1945 up until 1982. And it had a steady increase long-term trend from there. So, you know, I have no idea what interest rates will do the next 10 years, the next 20 years. But the fact of the matter is from, call it, even the 1990s, 2000s, interest rates were on a steady decline all throughout that period, all through the 2000s, the 2010s. And it's quite possible we don't see that anymore. And so Howard Marks wonders if there's a sea change involved with that. And you have inflation at such high rates that we haven't seen before because of so many different factors. And if that persists, then you have to have rates come up because that's the way that the Fed manages inflation. So that would be, I mean, until that comes down and if inflation's persistent, then it's a sea change because you can't you can't come back from that. The trend of globalization, which is all this free trade that goes between China and the United States and all these other countries. And if that's starting to become more constricted, then that kind of, it definitely doesn't help inflation. Let's just say that because China has a very deflationary effect to the world economy. And if they're severing their ties here and there, that is not good for inflation. And then of course, conflict, armed conflict, like we've seen in Ukraine, that doesn't help inflation Destruction doesn't help inflation. Geopolitical tensions can really flare up inflation. So those kinds of things, however long they persist, can make for whatever we saw 10 years ago, maybe being just a thing of the past and something we can't rely on in the next 10 years. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. 
In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So how do you think this relates to the idea that the way businesses make money today is different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago and how we account for that and how we value those investments. And without getting into the nitty gritty of all the accounting gobbledygook, there's been a growing consensus on the internet that the way that we look at a company making business, I'll use example, Microsoft, the way that they make money is vastly different than the way that United Health does or that even 3M or GE does. And all the accounting is all the same, but the assets that Microsoft owns are different than the assets that 3M owns. So the idea that using the same accounting standard for both is maybe a little faulty. And so how do you connect that idea with the falling interest rates, which caused companies like a Microsoft or Microsoft, maybe not the best example, but other companies like a Google to be wildly valued versus a company like 3M, which isn't, even though they may be producing great returns over the same period, the way that we account for the value of those, a lot of people are arguing now that that needs to change. And we have to think about, you know, a subscription business is way different than a a very capital heavy business. So I'm getting long here in my question, but how do you think that kind of all correlates with what Howard was talking about? As soon as I hear the words growing consensus, I automatically disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are contrarian. (laughs) So, you know, there is something to be said. Obviously, Michael Mobison's done some great research on how so many more assets of businesses are intangible now versus tangible. And we can see that because obviously the United States is no longer this industrial revolutionary economy. We're all working in factories and, and all of this. And a lot of stuff's done on the internet now. I think there can be some changes to gap accounting as far as how to deal with some of those things. But free cash flow is still free cash flow. So the way I kind of have always seen that stuff is it's taken into account through the cash flow statement. I think what's interesting with that, that you bring it in and kind of tying it into what Howard Marks was saying, is I think we saw this 
unprecedented explosion in tech that we, I think a lot of Wall Street, and I feel like I've fallen victim to this mentality too. I think we all assume that that's going to continue forever. And so we look at companies that are like, you could say software, right? Software as a service. So we all assume that businesses are just going to continue to invest infinitely in in getting all the latest technology for their firms and everything. And you just wonder if that's really going to continue. Is technology going to be the best performing sector in the next 10 years as it was in the 2010s? And I'm not sure if that's the case. I mean, if interest rates are higher, it's going to be harder to start a business. So have we seen a lot of new businesses and a lot of new innovations? And is it just the fact of the matter we won't see as many in the next 10 years as the last 10 years? I don't know the answer to that. But if you have companies that serve those industries that we're assuming those industries will continue growing forever and they're not going to grow anymore, software as a service, maybe to pick on them, you know, are they going to have the same demand in the next 10 years as the last 10 years? Well, then you have to ask like, if interest rates aren't falling like they were 10 years ago. And I, I look at like a industry like venture capital or like angel invest and those kinds of businesses. If you're a company in the stock market and you serve those kinds of brand new businesses, are you going to have the same number of companies to serve in the next 10 years if interest rates aren't that low? And I don't think a lot of the people investing in those companies are maybe thinking that way. And you really won't know, I guess, until the numbers come out. But it's an interesting thought experiment to think, can you really rely on the tailwinds that you had in the previous decade? And I think for some industries you can, and for others you can't. And I think where the danger is, is if you're blindly assuming that everything's going to stay the same, then you're probably going to get knocked over. Yeah, the era of free money or cheap money is over for now. And I think that probably spurred a lot of the tech advancements that you were talking about. There was so much money flowing into those kinds of areas of development and investment, partly because the money was so cheap that it was easy to do. And you saw quick turnarounds of returns in a lot of cases. And especially during the pandemic, when a lot of this was accelerated and it's kind of interesting to think about the sea change because the tide came in you know, during the pandemic and there was just all this money going into all these things and we are all just wowed the, the growing tech boom and then everything reversed and the tide went out and now we're seeing who was swimming without a bathing suit. And I think you know Howard's idea of a sea change I think is probably a great analogy for that and it's going to be interesting to watch over the next 10, 15, 20 years, how this all changes and how we adapt to those things. And Howard is a great voice of reason sometimes in the midst of a lot of chaos. And uh, he's very smart. When I think of him, I don't know how you think of him. When I think of him, I kind of think of him as this friendly grandfather that's very, very, very conservative. And I can't imagine him wearing anything with yellow because <laughs> it's too bright for him. I think he's a great resource for people to read and to learn more about this. What did Howard think? How did Howard think that we should behave during this coming sea change? That's what I kind of liked about the memo. I didn't feel like he gave you a prescription. He just kind of laid it out. And I, I felt like it was 
it should be eye-opening to people if you haven't thought about this is, you know, how are you going to react to this? I mean, just based on our conversation today, how would you think about for a beginner positioning a portfolio? How do they protect themselves from some of the pitfalls of maybe the excesses of the last decade? Buying with a margin of safety, trying to find companies that are going to grow, but not you know, trying to remove some of the irrational exuberance, especially that we experienced over the last few years. And I think trying to find, I hate to keep going back to this, but it's such a great phrase, you know, finding great companies that you, that are trading for or selling for a fair price. And I think if you do that over a long period of time, you'll do well and try not to get caught up in the shiny object obsession that can happen a lot in the Wall Street. If you avoid some of the darlings, you may miss out on occasion. That happens, but we don't have to swing at every pitch. And I think finding things that you think are going to be good companies over a long period of time, I think will do much better than the shiny objects. Yeah, I agree. I would. The only thing I would add to that is I would be careful about sector concentrations. So if you've gotten really excited about all of the big tech over the last decade and your portfolio is like 60% technology, I would take a look at that again and wonder, okay, that sound that, you know, is that very optimistic to assume that things are going to continue in a certain way forever? And it doesn't recognize what we can very well tangibly see are things that have changed. And it's not too hard to, to see that it has changed when you look around. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. All right. Well, with that, folks, we will wrap up our conversation for today. Please check out our website, einvestingforbeginners.com. There's a great search bar at the top of the page, and there's lots of resources to help you find these kinds of companies that we're talking about. As we go through a potential sea change, this is a great way to help you fortify yourself and protect yourself from the ocean going out and you not swimming with a bathing suit. (laughs) So finding great companies, looking at different ratios, those are all different things that you can find on our website under our search bar. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 